Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. When it comes to the TV heroes of DC Comics, the women are standing strong right now. It's episode 322 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and I just look across what's going on right now in DC TV, and there's so many strong women, and, it, and I just couldn't help but get not one, but two of them on the show this week. We're going to continue to talk about DC Stargirl. This time we'll talk to Dr. Midnight. That's right, Beth Chappell's on the show this week. Angelica Washington joins me to talk about Beth's transformation into Dr. Midnight and so many more amazing things. And and then, hey, season two of Doom Patrol just premiered this week. And hey, let's talk to April Bowlby about Rita and what's going on with her in season two and what's going on with the show in general because it looks like there's a lot of crazy stuff. That's going to be happening, but it just wouldn't be Doom Patrol without that, right? So it sounds like we've got a lot to get to. We should probably do that now. Start off with comics. It's what we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm writer Margaret Scott, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Whether you're back in the comeback with some bagging and boarding or just firing up the laptop for some digital reading. Hey, whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading, and it's also almost time anyway for Empire, the big arc coming from Marvel Comics. So let's dive into the beginnings of that, shall we? How about Marvel's Empire Avengers number zero from Al Ewing doing the writing there, Pepe Lazar doing the art, Marte Garcia on the colors, VCs Joe Caramagna on the letters, and Jim Chung and Guru EFX doing the cover. Now, the Avengers actually receive a distress call. From the blue side of the moon, which just, by the way, a little bit of a spoiler alert, happens to be green now. So they obviously, you know, go to investigate it. But before all this, it's funny because we start with the dream sequence with Tony Stark. And he has a dream about a massacre involving the Kotati people, right? So I'm guessing you can figure out by that who probably sent this distress signal. And there's, there's a theme in this about you know, why the Avengers were needed in the first place. They were formed to take on threats that were too big for just one Avenger to handle. And that seems to be a theme throughout this. Now, a lot of what I'm going to tell you is not a spoiler because it's actually in the description for the book, okay? So the Avengers get word of a massive threat that's heading in the direction of the Kotati people, and they get this message from the Celestial Messiah, who is back, who you might remember from an adventure with Thor not too long ago. Now, Marvel fans are going to understand why this particular alliance that's happening in this book could be a big deal and why it obviously needs to be stopped. What you won't expect, though, is who looks like that they are a part of what might be coming. And that was one of the most surprising things for me anyway. And maybe I missed something and it's not as and it's and it makes perfect sense to others. But I was I was a bit taken aback by this one, and I'm I'm th- that's one of the things that has me interested here. The other thing that has me interested about this is that in this book, in this book, it feels like a very different Tony Stark, and it really drew me in for some reason. It was I don't know more of an introspective Tony, more of a 
I don't know, for the lack of a better term, adult, Tony, I guess. It's like he has a greater appreciation for things. It was it was very interesting. And I mean, I'm not saying this is the first time that Tony Stark's ever, ever come across this where it felt like this. And there's still plenty of the Tony that we know and love in there as well. But it just felt something felt different about him and it's in in how and maybe it's because he's plugged in somehow it's hard to say at this point what's really going on the other thing that really drew me in was the art for this book i mean the team really did a great job especially bringing out the cosmic nature of the setting which was really really important to to you know get yourself into the vibe of the story and there's actually a sequence in this involving thor that was absolutely incredible that i really really loved it, it was something very simple it wasn't necessarily integral to the plot or anything like that. It was just, it was a couple of pages and it was just such a nice, well-drawn couple of pages that I was just, I was blown away. But I got to tell you, I'm usually leery of big arcs from Marvel because I feel like I don't get everything I thought I would out of them and I end up disappointed. This one has me really, really interested, even more so after reading this book. So if you're on the fence about Empire from Marvel, check out Marvel's Empire Avengers number zero, and it might just change your mind, because I think it certainly changed mine. Now let's dive into something a little bit different from Image Comics, something called That Texas Blood number one from Chris Condon doing the writing and the art by Jacob Phillips, who are fairly new to the game of comics. And this story actually centers around what seems like an ordinary day in a tiny Ambrose County in Texas. Now, Sheriff Joe Bob, which is his name, just turned 70, the big 7-0. So, you know, his wife's going to make him a nice dinner and there's going to be a, a small celebration. Problem is, though, is that as you're going throughout this story, you know, after the first few pages, which make things seem pretty ordinary, something just doesn't seem right. You know, you get that feeling that you just, something's not quite adding up. And you get little hints here and there, but you're not exactly sure what it is yet. The biggest mystery actually seemed like whether or not Joe Bobble would be able to get that casserole dish back for his wife for the longest time, which is, it, it was funny and it's not at the same time, where it just seems like this is what you're focusing on sort of thing. But that's everyday life. Two at some point. So, so the true-to-life factor of this book was certainly there. Then we find out there might actually be more going on with the sheriff than we know after something goes down. Now, things get far from ordinary in a confrontation at the end of this book, too. And it's going to leave you going, okay, what, why, and what did I just see? And how is the sheriff involved in all of this? It's, it's actually... That is the major question that I was left with anyway. The simple question really is why? That's the simple question that I had. That The only problem is that's exactly how this book felt from start to finish. It felt simple. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's also not necessarily a good thing either. I feel like things were very mundane for a reason. I understand that. But at the same time, I, I get a, a shocking moment at the end. But at the same time, I'm not sure. There there were subtle hints, but not necessarily a big hint to tell me why. And usually you get at least a little bit of that in the first issue, and I don't feel like I did. So I'm not quite sure exactly where I'm at 
with the story yet. The art itself was pretty good, though. It actually had a bit of a Walking Dead vibe to it, which was very, very cool. And there were certainly pages that, that really stood out to me, especially there's a, I don't want to say a dream sequence, but that's what it kind of felt like. And maybe that's exactly what it was, depending on your perspective. But that that really stood out art-wise for me. So I don't know how you bring that to life without great art. So they definitely succeeded there. Problem, though, is, is that this book might actually be too simple for its own good in the first issue. Because you want that first issue to be a giant hook. And while I, I understood what I was reading and I, and I enjoyed it, and I certainly you know want to see if I get some answers in the second issue, I wasn't completely hooked. And my worry is, is that people will very much judge a story by its first issue fairly or unfairly. And, you know, especially when, you know, times are tough money-wise, what makes them come back for that second issue if you don't grab them immediately? And I'm not sure this one did. So if you disagree with me, let me know why and let me know what your impressions were with that Texas blood, number one. I'm going to go on to issue two, but I'm curious to see if you feel the same way. That's going to do it for what we're reading. Up next, it's time to talk about DC's Stargirl once again. And we'll get Dr. Midnight. That's right. I'll chat with Angelica Washington herself next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Nelson Lee from DC's Stargirl, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Just a quick note before I get to my interview with Angelica Washington from DC Stargirl. This interview was recorded on June the 19th, 2020, which was Juneteenth. So she will make reference to that in the interview because that was the day that this was recorded originally. So now let's get to it. My interview with Angelica Washington from DC Stargirl. Well, if you've been watching DC Stargirl, and I know you have because we've been talking about it a lot, you will know the name Beth Chapel, and you are going to get to know the name Dr. Midnight as well. Let's talk to an expert on that, shall we? It's Angelica Washington. How are you doing today? <laughs> Hi, I'm great, James. Thank you for having me. So excited to be here and talk about Stargirl. Such a blast to have you on. And from the very beginning, Angelica, Beth has just been this huge ray of positive energy, not just in the show, but just in general. So did that actually kind of increase your enjoyment on playing her? Absolutely. It definitely did. She's a lot of energy and a lot of positivity, which is great because it forces us all to stay in a positive mindset, even at like 5 a.m. when we've been there for 12 hours already. Yep. <laughs> um, just really crazy long night shoots. It's great. She, she requires a lot of green tea and just a lot of positivity. And so, yeah, love playing Beth. Now, I interviewed the great Chris Chalk once about playing Lucius Fox on Gotham, and I asked him what he enjoyed most about playing mm -hmm. the character, and I'm paraphrasing here. He said that he was a black man, and he was the smartest man in the room. So how does it feel to play a young black woman who's the smartest one in the room? That's a really great way to put it, actually. It feels really great. I think that I love, um, I mean, every woman I know in general, to me, is smart and strong and beautiful and powerful mm -hmm. but there is definitely a different experience i have just being a, as a black woman so um i love that i love that i get to portray a character who is all of those things as a woman but just elevated it is for me the definition of black excellence and why i'm so inspired to play her there's only so many negative stereotypes of black women that i can watch mm -hmm. before i'm like this is so not the black woman I know in my life. I feel like every time I walk into the room with my mom or my aunties, like they are the smartest 
people in the room and they are also black women. So I am very inspired and very proud that I also get to be that for the next generation to watch on TV. Absolutely. Now, Angelica, when we first met Beth, she talked about being at the quote unquote loser table in the first episode. So do you think she's kind of comfortable with who she is or is there a hidden insecurity there that we really haven't had a chance to see yet? (laughs) No, Beth is 100% comfortable with who she is. She knows she's at the loser table. She knows she doesn't have friends. And honestly, she's like, she's like, well, I mean, yeah, that's just where it is. Um, And it's really fun and exciting. We get to explore her becoming a friend for the first time because she's never had any. So also seeing how that's challenging for Beth, just because she's so close to her parents. But yeah, she's super comfortable with just like knowing that she's at the loser table and she's happy having lunch with her parents every day. So Angelica, I got to be honest. I have to say, I was, I was it frustrated me that Beth always seemed to get the brush off, though, whether it be from her parents or even her peers or whoever it might be. Did you feel that frustration as well when you were reading the scripts, or did you kind of know, big picture, okay, things are going to work out for her? No, I think you're, uh, you were right. It, it, everyone is definitely brushing her off. She definitely, uh, she knows where she is. Like she, she knows, like, oh, my parents, are my best friend. But she's definitely going through that moment feeling like, okay, so now nobody wants me. Like nobody wants to to hang around with me. Like what, what is it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's kind of going through that, but she is so naturally positive. She doesn't even suspect it's her. She doesn't even think like, oh, maybe it's because I talk too much or maybe it's because people think I'm annoying. She's just like, I don't know what it is. Like I have no idea why people don't love, like who wouldn't love me? I'm best chapel. Right. You know? Exactly. That's how <laughs> I felt anyway. I'm just like, come on, let her play. <laughs> Exactly. Love it. Now, we didn't get to see Beth fully suit up as Dr. Midnight in Episode 5, but it looks like, obviously, we'll see that in Episode 6 of The Justice Society. So we saw that in the trailer. So what was it like putting on that suit for the first time? Wow. Putting on the suit for the first time. I mean, the first time it was fully done, like fully, completely done, because there were so many fittings where parts of it were, but not all of it. It was fully done was very, very magical experience. I think it was the first time I actually felt like, oh, okay, we're doing this. Yep. We are a superhero on a superhero show, and this is happening, and it's not a dream. We didn't make this up in our head. This is real, and we're really Beth Chapel. Um, like, wow, I'm really Dr. Midnight. That's, this is a real thing. Like, oh, wow. So really exciting. But I would say the most exciting part was the first day I got to be in my suit on set. Yep. That was the most real like moment where I had like, I'm like, oh, we have lines. We actually get to like be Dr. Midnight today. So that was the most exciting, um, memorable time. And I have some BTS videos all released on my Instagram from that day as well. So I'm excited. Uh, looking forward to that. Looking forward to it. We're talking to Angelica Washington, who, of course, plays, like she just said, Dr. Midnight and Beth Chapel on DC Stargirl, which you can watch <laughs> Monday on DC Universe and Tuesday on The CW. Now, Angelica, we know that Dr. Charles McKnighter is the voice uh, in Beth's suit, you know, in her goggles, in her head sort of thing when she's putting on the Dr. Midnight suit. But if you could choose mm-hmm. any voice to help guide you through your day and assist you, who would it be? Any voice. Wow. I'd probably say Oprah. Nice. I feel like her voice is just so soothing. I've listened to some of her um, guided meditations that are that she does with Deepak Chopra, and they kind of always make me go to sleep. So maybe that's not necessarily the best thing, but they're so soothing. Her voice is just like so warm, and um, I feel very guided when Oprah speaks. 
you know, I feel like that's what she does. Like she's guiding us into wellness or something. So it would probably be, I choose Oprah. If you, as long as you're not listening to them while you're driving, I think you're good. Right, right. Definitely don't want to go to sleep while we're driving. Yeah, don't I mean, want to I mean, do if that. You, but if you nod off a little bit, you know, sitting in a chair or something, that's not the end of the world. You know, maybe maybe we'll just like take lifts so that way we aren't driving and we just can listen the whole time. There it would go. be great. There you go. That's a great idea. That's an excellent idea. <laughs> now, in the trailer for this week's episode, like I said, Justice Society, we see that the team is going on their first mission together and it seems like things, you know, might not be going exactly as planned. So how would you describe the early dynamic of the group? You know, a struggle. I would describe it as it's a struggle, but it's also a beautiful journey. So um, I, what I love so much about episode six and just the JSA forming together is that the audience gets to see how the JSA learns to work with each other. They learn how to be teammates and also learn how to be friends, um, which they were none of those things before. So it is really, really funny and scary and people will be on the edge of their seats but they'll also be terrified for them. But then they'll be proud of them all at the same time. It's going to be these next action scenes coming up for the JSA will be a mix of emotions for the audience, which is going to be really, really fun to see. And I think it will make people laugh and cry altogether. Excellent. Now, we did get to see Beth get a bit emotional in Episode 5 when everybody kind of discovered what really happened with Rick's parents. And as positive as she is, do you think – it will be difficult for her to keep that positivity now coming into this knowledge that she's in a town that's basically full of supervillains. You know, not super difficult for her to stay positive, but Beth is very sensitive. So while people are, you know, have you, have you might've seen that thing on Instagram that's like, check on your positive friend. Yes. Like people have just said quotes like that. And I think that's so true because I think People confuse like, oh, if she's super positive and optimistic and she can always find the good that's happening, doesn't mean they never get sad and it doesn't mean that they're not overly sensitive. And Beth is definitely a very sensitive person, um, which I can also relate to just as Angelica. I'm also really optimistic. We have that in common, but I'm also very sensitive as well. And so, um, like, I don't want to have a roast for my birthday. Like, Angelica doesn't want to do that because that would make me cry. Mm -hmm. So I know people love that. I'm like, I couldn't do that. And Beth couldn't either. So she definitely will be able to maintain being positive. But you're right. She she definitely has a side of her that is really um, sensitive and things do really affect her. So as we go on in the season, people will be able to watch how fights and, and deaths and things like that really affect Beth. So we're seeing Beth out in the field now with the team uh, coming up in episode six. And I, I don't know if we're going to get any actual action from her. How comfortable do you think she's going to be when she's actually got you know, start throwing blows a little bit? <laughs> I won't tell you too much, but I'll just say that it's all new for her, new for her. Um, it will be the moment that Beth realizes, oh, crap, what did I just sign up to do? Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> all right. That's a pretty good tease. I like that. So. We, we talked about this a little bit in the beginning. We, we've seen a lot of amazing black men and women as heroes and playing important roles in DC Comics television over the years from Cress Williams' Black Lightning, Candace Patton's Iris West Allen, David Harewood's Martian Manhunter on Supergirl, and so on. Now that you're adding your name to that list as one of the younger heroes in that group, 
How special is that for you? Mm -hmm. Super special. I definitely don't take any of it for granted. I, I wear it with pride. I'm so grateful that I get to be amongst the list of those awesome black male and female superheroes and everywhere else on the spectrum, just because I know for sure, like, you know, we, we weren't, today's what, um, like Juneteenth, we're talking about this, yep. but like this, we really are our ancestors' wildest dreams, like truly living the fullness of that. And I think I'm even more proud to be the youngest one, just because I think the younger kids who are looking up to me and looking up to the show in general, really get to see a strong black female lead. I never got, I never had to change my hair for this role. Um, I got to wear my own glasses for this role. I got to be just fully authentically me um, as Beth Chapel. And I think that there's just no other way of supporting black joy and black excellence and being fully and authentically ourselves. Angelica, before I let you go, of course, you mentioned Juneteenth and then, of course, the protests that have been going on all over the country. Anyone who's followed you on social media has seen that you've been a part, a very active part of protests in your community, in your area and for Black Lives Matter. And one message that I've heard that I think was really important was just to listen. That's one thing I've heard a lot as I've seen this this play out is just to listen. So that's exactly what I'm going to do right now. So what message would you like to send to the nerd community and anyone else that might be listening right now? Oh, thank you for that. I would definitely encourage listening as well. And I would say while you listen and when you have your moments of downtime to really educate yourself, especially if you're in the country of the United States, because this country is not going to educate you on African-American history. I grew up in the American public system, the American, I'm sorry, the American education system, but um, I went to a regular public school and everything that I know was because my parents taught me, my family taught me, my parents made me sit down and watch, you know, historical black films and read black literature and so educating me so that way I really knew my history and the privilege that everyone else has is that they were never forced to do that. But black Americans are forced to learn everything about white culture and white American history. And all of that isn't necessarily a true the way that they say it is. And B definitely leaves out integral parts that black people really built this country and also that it was literally stolen from Native Americans, they committed a full genocide against that community and that heritage of people. And so definitely educate yourself and understand why people are so angry and understand why change must happen now, why George Floyd and all of these people who have just recently been murdered within like the last week or so, why it's really the last straw for us. It, like this is the last straw and of course, we don't want violence. We don't want riots, but we need to be heard. And like Martin Luther King Jr. said, a riot is the voice of the unheard. And that's exactly what it is. And um, I commit myself to peaceful protest. That's just me. That's just how I choose to get my point across. But regardless, I think that until we are not only heard, but until actionable change is made, I'm talking about legislature that's changed. We need to create laws and policies. Yes, we need to defund the police, but educate yourself on what that really means. We're not saying that we don't need any type of force or any type of enforcement for 
the public, of course, we know that we need that, but we need to invest money into our communities, black and brown communities, communities of color, lower funded communities of areas that are low income. And so we do need all of those resources that we just have not been afforded and not been given. And honestly, I don't even know why the fight for equality is a fight. It should just be reality. Um, But unfortunately, it's not. And so I look forward to changing that in my lifetime. And whether it be on screen, fighting justice for Stargirl, being Beth Chapel and Dr. Midnight, and off screen being Angelica Washington. So, yeah. Excellent. And if you want to find out more about what she's about, not just on the show, but off, make sure you're following her on Instagram. That's at Angelica W. I'm going to spell that for you. A-N-J-E-L-I-K-A-W on Instagram if you want to follow her there. And of course... Make sure you are watching every Monday on DC Universe and every Tuesday at 8 o'clock Eastern Time on The CW to see her as Dr. Midnight and Beth Chapel. It's Angelica Washington. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you so much for having me, James. This was really fun. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. This is Adrian Gray from Sci-Fi's Vagrant Queen, and you are listening to the Down and Nerds Podcast. You want to get nuts? Come on. Let's get nuts. It's time for nerd news. And you know that line and you know that there might be a guy that's going to be saying it again. That's right. Multiple reports from earlier this week or last week, depending on when you're listening to this. Actually, first it was well, the Hollywood Reporter was in there. They later corroborated the story from the rap that Michael Keaton could be back in the cowl as Batman once again. First up in Ezra Miller's Flash movie, which would be based on Flashpoint. Now, the Hollywood Reporter would go on to later say that Michael Keaton's Batman would actually replace Ben Affleck's Batman in DC films and would be a Nick Fury-like character appearing in several other movies after that. I kind of described it as the straw that stirs the drink. That's kind of how I see it, if that's what's going to happen. But here's the deal. Uh, We already know that Keaton's Batman movies are part of DC continuity, right? We saw that from Crisis on Infinite Earths in the Arrowverse. We also know how they connect to The Flash because Ezra Miller's Flash met Grant Gustin's Flash on that in that same crisis, and the associated property tells you that then the other two things would be connected as well. But was the multiverse destroyed in Crisis? Yes. Is it secretly being rebuilt? That was kind of the hint that we got also in crisis. So you might think, well, how can this exist in this continuity? Well, it can exist because, you know, it seemed like there was more to the earth than just earth prime. That was just the earth that the surviving members of crisis knew that that's, that's all there is to it. So earth prime is what we have. There might be more. Also, we don't know when in the timeline this takes place. So if Ezra Miller's flash has a flashpoint event, who knows how that could affect the overall timeline of everything else. So that's the other thing that you need to consider if you've been kind of wondering how this is all going to work. But I'd really like to just kind of dive in to the whole Michael Keaton thing. He hasn't played Batman since 1992. That's not a big deal. Of course, he played Vulture in Spider-Man Homecoming, and that wasn't too long ago. But Michael Keaton right now is 68 years old. So any action scenes would require some serious stunt work for sure but again we saw he was it was fine in homecoming right and i know that that was like that was a few years ago now but still you know it worked then and you want to put him in the bat suit fine you give us the cow with the white eyes that we've been 
clamoring for for what seems like decades now. And guess what? It didn't matter who's under the cowl because the the white eyes kind of tell the tale, right? And it's not and you could say, well, you know, how what's going to happen if he has to talk? It's not like, you know, you're reciting the Declaration of Independence while you're fighting. It's not like there's a whole lot of talking going on during battle sequences. So, I mean, there are creative ways to make this work. When he needs to take the cowl off, it's Michael Keaton. When he's when the cowl's on and there's fisticuffs to be had, then, you know, it can be a stunt person. There's, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that a stunt person put on a super suit and stepped in for the actor that was playing said superhero. This is not unheard of. So there are plenty of ways that this is possible. And could we see Keaton's Batman grooming, say, you know, someone else for the Justice League? Could we see could we see Batgirl step up and be more of a Justice League type member or be the protector of Gotham? Could it be Nightwing? There's certainly a couple of different options there. So, I mean, just to see Michael Keaton back in the fold again, he really has that figurehead presence about him. I think it would be a really, really good choice if this is what they decide to do to pull this off. Of course, you know, Warner Brothers has had no comment. There's no comment from Michael Keaton's people. As of me recording this podcast, every time I say that, something changes the next day or something, and I feel like an idiot. So just know that this is, as of me recording this, there's been no statements made. But I got to tell you, as much as, you know, there are certain questions that would need to be answered in order for this to make sense, I'm all about it. Let's just go ahead and make it happen. This is something that absolutely makes 100% sense, and that is Lucifer. We now know that Season 5 is going to be premiering on Netflix on August the 21st. Bravo to them, by the way, for the way that they announced it with that uh, Lucifer's Sexiest Moments video. Very, very appropriate. But it also confirmed, too, that Season 5 is going to be split up into two parts because it's Season 5 Part 1 that's going to debut in on August 21st. So, I mean, that gives them time to space things out because, you know, you debut one in August, you give us the next one, maybe November, even December-ish, something like that, and then guess what? Yes, Season 6 is also confirmed, and they swear that this time it is really, really the end. Season 6 will be the end of Lucifer, and... I'm okay with that because, you know, as much as I love Lucifer and I could see the show go on forever, you kind of feel like they've been setting up their end game, right? You feel like they've been setting up their ending for, I think that they started setting up their ending last season. And I think season five will certainly move us closer to that because, again, you don't know if there was going to be a season six. So there's there there's going to be probably some sense of finality in season five as it is. But. I mean, you don't want to see something go on to the point where it's like, uh, you know, I just don't care anymore. And that and that happens with some shows. And I'm not going to name names here, but there are certain shows where I'm just like, ah, uh, you know what? Okay, I'm, I'm kind of done here. And, you know, I just, I've stopped watching them. And, you know, if I want to go back and watch the end of it someday, I will. But I can also watch the, you know, large handful of episodes that have already aired for these particular shows. Whereas with Lucifer, I still love the show. All the new episodes just feel fresh and great to me. And that's a hard thing to do after, say, let's say five seasons, right? That's a difficult thing to do. So, and there are shows that have been able to pull it off, but you never want something to to wear out its welcome, right? So I think that everyone involved in the production of Lucifer knows that 
and they are on it. And I cannot wait for this first part of season five to premiere because there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. You know, when is Lucifer going to get out of hell? Assuming that he does, how is Chloe doing with all this? What's the latest between Eve and and Maze? You know, the, the, you know we kind of had a, heart, a heartbreaker there at the end of last season, so we got to find out what's going on with that. Where are Amenadiel and Dr. Linda at right now, too, after everything that happened last season? There's a lot, there's a lot to consider. And I mean, even with with Ella and Dan, we saw things spark. We saw things spark back up there, and now we know that we've got we've got Dad premiering. God's actually going to premiere in this season. When we don't know exactly, but there's a lot to be excited about with Lucifer season five. And August twenty first can't come soon enough, as far as I'm concerned. Speaking of Netflix, did you see the trailer that they have for their Unsolved Mysteries reboot, which I'd kind of forgotten. That was gonna ha- that was gonna happen. They actually brought back the original creators. You get the producers from Stranger Things, and boom, you've got unsolved mysteries. You've got six new mysteries to take a look at. You know, we've got crime mysteries, we've got UFO mysteries, and this is spanning the globe too, by the way. This is not just in the United States. So that's gonna premiere on July the first. The trailer looks really, really interesting. Doesn't really go into many specifics other than telling us. We're going to get, you know, some strange things here. We're going to get some crime stories here, some missing person stories, it looks like as well. So there's a lot that's going to be coming up in, un- in Unsolved Mysteries. And, and I feel like there's an itch to scratch here. I, f- I feel like this is kind of an underserved genre as far as I'm concerned, especially right now. So I think that this will be a, and you kept the music. That's kind of one of the most important things to me. That's as much as I can do for copyright infringement purposes. So I just thought I can't wait for this to come back. And it's one of those things that was a pleasant surprise because I knew it was happening, but completely forgot about it. And then this trailer reminded me, I was like, oh, awesome. That's right. That's coming back. Cool. So Unsolved Mysteries this coming week. Yeah, I'm all about that. Superman Man of Tomorrow is another trailer I want to talk about from Warner Brothers Home Entertainment in the DC animated movie universe. So you know that Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, that kind of ended the that current continuity. And now we're actually going to go back a little bit with Superman Man of Tomorrow and this sort of and this origin story based on the comic of the same name. And it already has a different vibe to it. The animation style feels very, very different. When you see the trailer, you've also got different people working behind the scenes. You've got a new director in Chris Palmer. I mean, these are people that have certainly worked on DC projects before. It's not like they're brand new to the fold, but, you know, names that we don't hear very often associated with these DC animated movies. So you've got Chris Palmer's directing. You've got a script by Tim Sheridan, supervising producer Butch Lukic, which will be interesting. And we also have Jim Krieg, who's a name we know from the other movie, some of the other movies, and Kimberly S. Moreau going to be involved as well but the, we, we really see it in the cast too because you've got Darren Chris who you might remember from Glee and American Crime Story he's going to be Superman Zachary Quinto is going to be Lex Luthor cannot wait for that you've got Alexander Daddario who's going to be Lois Lane our boy Brett Dalton's going to be Parasite in this movie you're also going to have Lobo Two, by the way, is going to be voiced by Ryan Hurst. That one's going to be real. It's going to be nice to see the main man in one of these movies and play more of a key role. In this, and you see that in the trailer, too. You see a lot of Lobo. Obviously, you see a lot of Superman as well, because why wouldn't you? But you're also seeing 
a lot of you're seeing a lot of Lobo. You're also seeing a lot of Martian Manhunter. So it's going to be nice to see Martian Manhunter take a little bit more of a role in this as well. And I'm kind of perusing here to find. I'm trying to find the name of who is the voice of Martian Manhunter here as I'm as I'm kind of going through this. It's Ike Amandi who was also part of Mass Effect 3 and Mortal Kombat Legends Scorpion's Revenge, is going to be the voice of Martian Manhunter, almost like a guide for Clark and, and Superman in the beginning years. But you see the familiar costumes that you see from the comic. I already love that. But it just feels like it's got a different vibe to it, right? Because you gotta you got to start somewhere, so why not start with Superman, Man of Tomorrow? I think this is a really, really cool way to bring things and just again the way that the the presentation alone in the trailer really caught my eye as something different a different look for the dc animated movie universe and i'm excited for what they've got planned superman man of tomorrow going to be on digital hd on august the 23rd that's the early release and then the 4k ultra and blu-ray combo pack is going to come out on september the 8th really quickly did you know that a cyberpunk anime was going to be coming to Netflix. Now, it's not going to be for a while yet, but it's going to be called Cyberpunk Edge Runners, and it's going to be a part of the Cyberpunk 2077 universe. And yes, CD Projekt Red is going to be involved in this. The writers from Cyberpunk are going to be involved, and we're also going to see creative teams behind The Witcher 3 that are going to be with this as well. Studio Trigger from Japan is going to be doing the animation. And again, all we have is a poster right now of how it's going to look. But it looks pretty good to me as far as I'm concerned. And and everybody seems to be really excited. We're not going to see this until 2022, though. So that's kind of a bummer. So it'll be a while after the release of Cyberpunk 2077. But we the, the synopsis we got was actually pretty short. Basically, a story about... A street kid trying to survive in a technology and body modification obsessed city of the future. Having everything to lose, he chooses to stay alive by becoming an edge runner, a mercenary outlaw, also known as a cyberpunk. Again, kind of generic, but at the same time, if you're a cyberpunk fan anyway, you're probably excited about this, and rightfully so, quite frankly. And Netflix has had some luck with their video game adaptation stuff. I mean, I hate to point just to Castlevania, but that one alone should have your attention of, well, it looks like Netflix knows how to hire the right people to work on these things. And, you know, we've got the Diablo series that's been rumored and talked about as well that we might have coming. And, of course, I think it was Adi Shankar that was supposed to be involved with that as well. So I'm looking forward to a cyberpunk series. I think that that's something that could be really, really cool and just visually striking too in a perfect setting. Anime is just such a perfect setting for this. So, again, and and don't forget Netflix also, it's rumored that they've got an Overwatch series that's going to be coming out as well. Hopefully we'll get some confirmation on some of this stuff, but at least we know for sure that we definitely have an anime series for Cyberpunk 2077 coming in 2022. It's going to do for Nerd News up next. Going to talk about Doom Patrol Season 2 with Rita herself. April Bowlby joins me next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yo, this is Greg Sipes, Teen Titans Go. You're listening to the Down and Nerdy, 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 Nerdy Podcast. Nerdy, Nerdy, Nerdy Podcast. This guy's the biggest nerd you ever met. The nerdiest of the nerds. 
I feel like the excitement's been building for over a year now for season two of Doom Patrol, and it is finally here on DC Universe and on HBO Max, and I am so excited to talk to Rita Farr herself. It's April Bowlby. How are you doing, April? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. Now, I was in the room last year at Comic-Con when not only was it announced that you guys were going to HBO Max, also with DC Universe, but that you guys were going to be getting a season two and the eruption from the crowd, I still remember it. So how, what has it been like to just be a part of this crazy show now for two seasons? Oh my gosh, it's a dream come true. Our show is so strange and unusual and I feel like there's nothing like it on television. So it feels like a real gift because we are like these grounded superheroes who don't want to be superheroes at all. But in the wackiness, we learn how to trust ourselves and we deal with all of our issues. And in the show, we deal with PTSD and body image and mental illness. And so there's like these real issues wrapped up in this weird, intense, quirky, like magical unicorn kingdom. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt about it. You you talk about those issues, as a matter of fact, because we saw Rita go through a lot of personal issues in season one, as did the whole team really. So how do you think she's feeling heading into season two? At the end of uh, season one, they've all been betrayed by Chiefs. So she coming into season two, I think she's feeling very vulnerable and alone. And uh, that things that she believed, she doesn't trust anymore. So I feel like she feels even more ostracized than when she did in season one. So in season two, you'll see that she has to start literally pulling herself together and trusting herself. And what she finds is that she wants to face her issues. And she does that by trying to be a superhero. (laughs) It's funny that you mentioned uh, the Chief's betrayal at the end of season one, because I mean, she's been there longer than almost anybody else. So would you say that she's kind of taking it better or taking it worse than her fellow Doom Patrol members? I think she's probably taking it better in the sense that she's, I feel like she always, it's like, she's almost like Eeyore, you know, like, thanks for noticing in a way. Like she, I think she kind of knew that at some point she would be betrayed anyway, because that's in her opinion. I think she, she did betray people and that's just, people can't be trusted. And I think that's partly in season one, why she's so miserable. So I think with that new information, it's like for her, it's been an opening that she can actually lead herself maybe. And she doesn't have to follow this, this person that she puts so much of her trust into. And she, she can create her own world at this point. It's funny that you mentioned her wanting to be a superhero. Cause of course we saw in the trailers that she's kind of working with Vic a little bit and maybe doing a little bit of training. So what do you think being a hero actually means to her? Oh my gosh. That's such a, a good question. I think Rita thinks the hero is someone who can be outside of herself. I think she wants to not be so self-involved. And so she's looking outside of herself, like, how can she help? How, who can she save? How does she participate in this life? Because not participating didn't work. She did that for a long time and she was still miserable. So there's got to be a switch and a change. So I think for her, a superhero is someone who can help and create relationships and make things better. I hope. We'll see. Yeah, I hope I hope so too, definitely. And we'll have to we'll see how that goes and plays out throughout the season. Now, some of my favorite scenes actually 
not just from last season, but for this upcoming season that folks are going to see involve Rita and Larry. So what do you think makes that relationship so special? I think Rita and Larry, I, I, I think of them as the odd couple. They've been together the longest. They were the originals in the house. And they're like this old little married couple. <laughs> she kind of bosses him around. He's like, oh, okay, I'll do what you want. And I think their bond is unique because they really trust each other, actually. I think because they're in the same position that they have this misery loves company. And they just found each other and they understand each other the most. And you'll see in episode three that there's this incredible scene with Larry and Rita where they have to save each other. And I think they actually have the most trust between each other out of everyone in the in the show. No doubt about it. We're talking to April Bowlby, who of course plays Rita Farr on Doom Patrol. First three episodes of season two right now on HBO Max and DC Universe. Now, April, despite how the team feels about Niles right now, Dorothy appears to be very innocent and a very troubled child as well. So without spoiling anything, do you think there's a way that Rita might actually be able to help her? You know, I do because Dorothy, although very troubled and dangerous, is also a little girl. So there's, you'll see in season two that there's these really nice moments to have a child in the household of Doom Patrol is it brings life to it. And um, I think there's a part of Rita that wants to be mothering and wants to heal and embrace the healing and, and how better to do that than with a child. So you'll, you'll see there's some fun dynamics that come up that have not come up in the previous season. No doubt about that. I can't wait for people to see it either. So moving on to something a little bit more sinister as if Mr. Nobody wasn't bad enough last season, we're seeing some new villains this season. So which one do you think actually poses the biggest threat? You know, <laughs> that's, it's hard to say. I feel like there are, are multiple threats this season. And I'm just going to throw it out there. Red Jack scared me so much. Oh, it yeah. was a horror episode. <laughs> just, I do not want that guy around. <laughs> just say that. It just feels like the creep factor has been just turned up already this season. For anybody who's already seen any of the first few episodes, it's just, it's downright creepy at times. Agreed. Yes, it is downright creepy. And then we have like the absurd lightness that comes through too. But definitely the third episode is, is I would say our creepiest and uh, disturbing, you know. This and season. that's saying something. So when, For anybody yeah. that's already seen <laughs> the first is. season, that's saying something. Now, April... Yeah. The Doom Patrol is such a unique show. You were talking about that in the beginning here. Do you ever see the show possibly crossing over with, with another? I know we saw them on Titans in, in the early going, but do you see them ever crossing over with another, with another show? Or on the flip side of that, could you see Rita possibly joining up with another team at some point? Oh, my gosh. Wow. That's a, quite a question. I mean, maybe if Rita really, like, becomes the superhero she hopes to be, um, she might beat a different kind of team. I don't know, though. I think she's also a creature of habit that although she wants change, we'll see if she, she can handle it. I love a crossover with Titans. It would be great to have, now that we're more established, I think to have Beef Boy come over would be an incredible tie-in to the, to the Doom Patrol comics. I think that would be, you know, um, a really fun thing to have happen, especially because Rita is, you know, interested in, like, healing and forging relationships. I think Beef Boy would be a great character for her to 
do that way. <laughs> I definitely think that that would be a lot of fun. And speaking of fun, you guys have some of the most fun sets that I think I've seen on, on almost any show. And, and, and right now you're actually getting to play around with a larger version of what's supposed to be a toy race car set. So how fun was it to actually be on that particular set? So much fun. It was like a dream come true. It's like every, it's like being a kid again. Like you'll see we were served pancakes and like they made giant pancakes mm-hmm. and it would have little tents with the matchstick. Like for hours, the cast would just walk on set and be like, oh my gosh, did you see this? This is a matchstick, but it goes over here. It's like a tent pole. So it was really, really clever. And our set designers are just bravo because they really brought it to life. It was so much fun. April, before I let you go, the show's had an extremely popular following on DC Universe, as I mentioned. And now it's going to be the first time that it premieres on HBO Max as well. So are you already starting to hear from fans who are kind of experiencing the show for the first time? Yeah. Yes. I I feel like um, there's, you know, we have the DC Universe where the comic book fans are and there's there's no other relationship like that. And now we've got HBO Max, which adds more people to the pot. And I feel like with that, world domination, obviously. <laughs> no doubt about it. And you can see all the domination right now. First three episodes of season two of Doom Patrol is streaming now on HBO Max and DC Universe. You can also get the first season there as well. And you'll see a lot of her. It's April Bowlby who plays Rita Farr. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Hey, thank you so much. Be safe. You can really hear the excitement in April's voice, can't you, for what's going to be coming in this upcoming second season of Doom Patrol on HBO Max and on DC Universe. It really feels like, almost like Rita's ready to step out on her own, doesn't it? That That's kind of the vibe that you're getting from April. And, you know, could what, what, what happened with Niles just been the shove that she needed to kind of motivate herself to get on out there on her own and for this team to start dealing with some of their inner demons and things like that? It kind of sounds like that was the push that they needed. I got to tell you, the first three episodes of Doom Patrol, I got to see them a little bit early, and of course they're out right now for you to watch as well. I mean, I was glued the entire time, and some of these villains that we're going to see, my goodness. I mean, I was. she's right. Episode three, probably the creepiest episode of this show ever, and that's just a small sample size of what's going to be happening on season two of Doom Patrol on HBO Max and DC Universe this season. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to April Bowlby and the folks at HBO Max for coming on the show this week. Also, thanks to Angelica Washington and everybody involved with DC's Stargirl for joining the show as well. Make sure you're watching her Mondays on DC Universe and Tuesdays on The CW for Stargirl. If you need to get all the information on this and kind of wrap your head around everything that's going on, Go to downandnerdypodcast.com. You can subscribe to the podcast in a bunch of different places there as well. Find older episodes. You can also follow along on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram and facebook.com slash downandnerdy as well. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.